From inline product quality control to the traceability of packaged goods, the food and beverage industry has long leveraged instrumentation and control technologies to fulfill society's nutritional needs in ways that are simultaneously efficient, safe, and scalable. But food and beverage producers are being asked to do more with fewer people, to anticipate and prevent potential disruptions to production, and to advance the overall sustainability of their operations. And the COVID-19 pandemic has only brought added pressures to bear. But suppliers of instruments and controls are once again answering the call. Hello, this is Keith Larson. I'm editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of our Control Amplified podcast, sponsored today by Anderson Hauser. With me today to talk about how instrumentation controls are addressing the changing landscape of food and beverage industry needs is Ola Westrom, Food and Beverage Industry Marketing Manager for Anderson Hauser USA. Welcome, Ola, and a real pleasure to chat with you today. Yeah, hi, Keith. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for having me on here. I'm really looking forward to this little conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. Clearly, the pandemic has only made it more challenging to really find, train, and retrain the skilled people that food and bev companies need to ensure that production proceeds smoothly. How would you say instrumentation technology is helping these manufacturers fill that gap? Well, I'm not sure if technology is, is necessarily filling the gap, you know, how to find and, uh, and retain skilled workers. That's obviously a, a bigger task, you know, to do True. that. But True. Yeah. having that said, some of the, the tools that manufacturers are, are providing today to help educate, uh, either through uh, self-directed learning or maybe training for on or off-site, has really evolved a lot in the last couple of years, and it was really accelerated during uh, the last two years here when access and let's say that that personal touch was limited but taking advantage of the maybe we, we're all part a little bit of a of a YouTube generation <laughs> where online videos or remote uh, directed learning can really help people that have a, let's say long skills but also people that are coming coming on board to get up to speed as, as quick as possible yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly fewer people can be next to each other on the packaging lines, especially early on in the pandemic. So that really accelerated right. the need for that also. Are you seeing also more automation being deployed to address the fact that there's less manual labor being involved in, in the area of the production lines? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've we've seen... Obviously, for, for many, many years, the application of robots, you know, and, and other type of tools for, for packaging and machinery and so on. And I would say it's, it's moving up in the, in the, let's say, the liquid processing side as well, where you have operators that are running a line that are being asked to, to do more things, to monitor more things, and maybe even replace certain things, you know, if they go wrong, as to place less tax on, let's say, the maintenance staff. Um, so that is that is definitely coming there, and, and it takes quite an effort to get to that point. But there are technologies available today to make that easier. Some of those could be like the usage of wireless LAN technologies. Uh, we have started to, to apply Bluetooth connectivity for the instruments, uh, which makes it easier to troubleshoot configure devices, and then that can then help reduce any any downtime and and making it easier for operators or maintenance technicians to, to get their problems addressed as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's especially 
important in classified or hazardous environments where you don't want to open up the instrument, a wireless connection is going to be much safer in, in, that, in those kind of situations as well. That's for sure, yeah. Fortunately, we don't have too much of, of hazardous areas in food production, except once you get into maybe some flavor rooms or obviously in the distilleries, you may encounter some of that. But, yeah. but still, you know, not opening up uh, and the enclosure or even a cabinet or, or getting access to it, yeah. maybe not so much in an issue for hazardous area, but also to protect the equipment from uh, the washdown that you have in food industry sure. all the time. I mean, there's water and condensation and moisture everywhere. So anytime you can avoid opening a, the a housing is one less risk of uh, moisture or water getting in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's also the occasional powders and such that can make explosive combinations sure. in bins and stuff as well. Not not so common in the production sure. environment, but certainly in the silos and things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it happens in, you know, bakeries and pet food facilities and yeah. other areas where you deal with a lot of powders, which yeah. you always have to be careful careful with from an explosion hazardous perspective. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, maybe a somewhat less skilled technicians working on the lines and combining that with increased demand for prepared food and beverage products seems a recipe for downtime, especially if some of the technicians are not used to the warning signs of equipment stress, uh, as it were. What sorts of digital tools are being deployed to keep an eye on asset health and head off problems that could affect production? Yeah, there's there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, it's a really good thing, good point you're bringing up. I've talked to a large number of processors in the last well last year, year and a half, just to figure out, you know, how how are they adopting to let's say that the, the COVID which we're in right now, which has put a lot of strain. You know, on one hand, you have the production need for the retail sales, which is mm -hmm. through the roof. So they're trying to supply and keep the supermarket shelves filled. Right. Uh, so that's been a challenge there. And on the same time, having fewer people, and now we're dealing with a little bit of supply chain issues on the equipment side as well. Right. And one, one expression that I've heard more in the last six months that I think I've heard in my entire career is the expression of running to failure. Yeah. And I find this quite worrisome. Now, clearly there's the balance of, you know, how you handle unscheduled downtime versus preventive maintenance. Mm -hmm. But that, let's say, maybe the, I don't know if it's a realization or maybe it's where people find themselves, you know, to get into that mindset of running to failure, how to make up for that when you have a lot of, let's say, production or orders to fulfill and suddenly you have run to failure. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I think uh, you mentioned... Uh, asset health and asset health monitoring. I think yeah. there's a little bit of a lack of awareness on how advanced diagnostics in today's instruments, well, not only the instruments, but in control systems. You look at the diagnostics of uh, valve and valve tops, uh, motor drives and others. There's a lot of things in there that can give an early warning right. if an instrument or whatever the device it is if it is seeing something that is out of the ordinary, which could be either be due to the instrument or the device or process-related problems, right. which can really help reduce any unscheduled downtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that you're hearing that uh, run-to-fail methodology. I thought we were 
moving away from that as an industry with all the diagnostics that we've been working on for decades now. But uh, I, I understand they're under yeah. pressure. Yeah. There is a lot of pressure out there. So it, it's it's been quite surprising. That's why I, I've asked that question many times because first couple of times I heard it, I was like, I thought, to your point, I thought we were beyond that. But yeah. we've, we've uh, maybe due to the pressures of the, of the market today that we've kind of fallen back a little bit. And uh, I think there's there's definitely opportunity to to help bring that awareness out that, that it doesn't have to be that way. That sounds good. That same skills and resource gap is also driving end users to rely more on, on third parties like OEMs uh, to keep production lines running. Do you find clients calling on, on you to fulfill those services? And do you see any disconnects between the wants and needs of the users and priorities and, and what services are being provided by the, the OEM community? There, there is a bit. I mean, this, this is not a new, but it certainly is a challenging topic yeah, where on one hand, you have the, the capex, the capital expenditures that need to be balanced between the cost today and future operational costs. Right. And on one hand, OEMs, plant builders, suppliers, integrators, and so on, mm -hmm. are being asked to provide more and more for less. So often the focus then falls on the, on the short-term capex budget, which, which is right. then available. From what we've seen is that this in turn sometimes results in just the, the simplest or lowest cost instrument device being applied to get the job done. Right. And and of course there's there's nothing wrong with, with that, you know. I mean, generally, you know, that things will work real well. But it, there are certainly times where it could become an issue where maybe uh, accuracy or performance or reliability or, or like we mentioned earlier about the diagnostic tools or the simplicity of, of operation or, or just the digital integration of a device into a control system could then lead in the future to production losses, rework, you know, increased downtime and so on. So I think that it's really best to try to really carefully evaluate the process processing need and then apply what is the, let's say, the best fit to balance budget and, and technology there. And and today those those capabilities are there. Pretty much every supplier have entry level, mid-range, and high performance devices so you can balance those requirements. Yeah, it seems uh, similar to the run to failure, seems that you know, looking at life cycle costs should be should be the accounting mechanism now for for what what actually can be performed with these instruments, but uh, maybe not there just yet. Uh, no, but I think I think we're close. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking at from yeah. from my my uh, twenty years uh, working in the food and beverage segment, I think we're we're making massive strides in the in the right direction here. Yeah, absolutely. I know Anderson Hauser, you have tools for doing um, you know augmented reality and and really assisting um, your customers, technicians when they're they're there at the plant. How have those kind of tools been been received by your customers? I, I would say they're they're being slowly adopted, where where people start saying it's like, okay, this is not as hard or not as difficult to adopt as we thought it was. Mm -hmm. uh, it, people are are embracing it. It's a little bit of hesitancy, maybe in the beginning, to apply it or say, what else do we need to change in order to to put this in here? 
but once people put those asset health monitoring tools into place, where it's like, yeah, we, how did we operate before this? <laughs> um, and, and and generally we see it like maybe start small, you know, start in one area of a, of a production facility, get a feel for it, yeah. and then after that, add it on to, to other areas. And, and usually it's looking at, you know, where, where are, let's say, the critical processing steps. You, you yeah. don't have to apply that to, to every single device out there because if, mm-hmm. if they're not critical to an operation and you can run without that device and it's more providing additional information, well, you may not need to have that on a on a asset health monitoring uh, type of environment. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not just the food and beverage industry, but all the industries we're covering now are, are looking at you know, having operators and technicians that maybe have a have a base level of, of skills, but they can't be expected to specialize in one area because they have to do multiple things. Uh-huh. And they're trying to meet those requirements by having training plus technology assist to help fill the gaps in specific types of tasks. You seeing that as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah I see that as well. And, and I'll just give you an example of, this, let's say, how this, this asset health can, can uh, let's say, a scenario could, could play out. So you have, let's say, the asset health monitoring up and running. On one hand, you would have it connected up to the operator HMI. So let's say an operator running a cook kitchen or a, or a line or whatever it might be, they have this ability to pumps, valves, instruments, measurement values, and so on, right? So that's mm-hmm. usually what they see. They know what they mean. Right. Now on that HMI, you can then also say, okay, everything is running fine. Everything is looking good. But if one of the instruments is starting to give you a warning and say, okay, I'm, seems like I'm starting to drift off a little bit here, or even worse, something has happened here. I'm out of commission. You, you cannot trust me anywhere. On that HMI, you can then have a red or a green light for the operator to see, oh, here's something seriously wrong here. This one is, has a yellow light on it. I, pro- I can probably run my process, but I, I need to get some technician to come and have a look at it. If it's red, maybe I shouldn't even start my line because it may not be correct. I might be producing off-spec product if this instrument is not doing its job. Maybe my recipe will be off. And on the same time, in the maintenance shop, they have that same screen, but in a different way to give them an idea. Let's say you have 200 critical assets in a facility. Mm -hmm. You come in in the morning, you say, oh, you have your screen. You see you have 195 that are green. Everything is good. You have four of them that are in the in the yellow, and you have one red. Well, now you you have your let's say your priorities for that morning outlined for you as you come into the facility. And mm-hmm. uh, no need to try to figure out or even wait for the uh, operations yeah. to call you and say, "Hey, there's something wrong." You can right. just go straight to it and say, "Okay, what do we need to do to fix this?" Yeah. So yeah. that's a, that's a, a scenario that this asset health can can provide. Mm-hmm. And you, your instruments and Anderson Hauser instruments actually are have uh, increasingly sophisticated ability to verify their own operation, even as far as self-calibrating in some cases as well. Can you talk a little bit about about that functionality and how that comes to bear? Sure, sure. Yeah, some of that is very some of are very specific to certain technologies and so on. But since since you mentioned, let's say the self-calibrating, that is referring to one of our temperature sensors. Uh, where through some really clever innovation, we came up with a way to have a 
have a fixed reference point built into the temperature sensor mm -hmm. so that every time the temperature crosses that particular point, the temperature sensor of a temperature transmitter self-checks itself against that, uh, that reference point. And if it starts noticing that it's uh, drifted off by whatever tolerance you define, let's say if you define half a degree, 0.2 degree, or 5 degrees, right. uh, you can define what, at what tolerance are we, are we still good here. Then that gives you an alert and say, okay, this, this temperature sensor have now drifted off. We need to replace it. Rather than, you know, like many plants do, you know, every three months they shut everything down and, and spend a lot of time going through and calibrating every single sensor. Now you only go fix the ones that are not working. So that's that's one aspect of it. And then on many other other instruments, we have a, a diagnostic tool that we call it heartbeat technology, which is running a deep diagnostics of, of the instrument. Uh, th think about it this way. Say in your car, you have your check engine light, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the check engine light would be the, let's say the normal, you know, yeah, okay, something is wrong. Some people just keep on driving. Others are more conscious about it and bring it to the shop. Right. So that's kind of a basic. Now, once you get to the, to the dealer of the, of the shop, then they hook up their diagnostic tool to really dig into, you know, what exactly it is. They can tell you that it's the O2 sensor or this sensor or whatever it might be that, that needs fixing. Well, that's what we have built into the instruments. So that advanced level of diagnostic is built into the instruments mm -hmm. so that by generating or just initiating that heartbeat report, it gives you a document to say, okay, everything checks out. This instrument is still as good as it was when it was manufactured. You can rely on it and you can keep on keep operating. Or if there's something it detects that, okay, nine out of 10 or 20 out of 25 checkpoints is fine. There's one that looks a little bit suspect. Right. You may or may not have to do anything about it. Sure. So that, that, those tools are there. That's great. Very, very clever. Very clever. On another front, like everywhere else, margins are, are, are getting squeezed for food and beverage manufacturers. Um, even though they're seeking um, automation and operational efficiency initiatives, stakeholders are still clamoring for sustainability through such measures as resource conservation, lower energy consumption related to greenhouse gases and, and water reuse as well. Can those the investments needed to advance those initiatives pay off on both sides of the equation, resulting in more profitable and more sustainable production? Yeah, I, I think that, I think they go hand in hand. Uh, I mean, certainly every situation has its own return on investment. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes it might be, you know, monetary return on investment. Sometimes it's, you know, how do you use, let's say, carbon footprint, you know, from a marketing perspective or, or other views, you know, that is more consumer driven from it there. But I, I think, you know, from an operational efficiencies, closely looking at where the suspected losses are, maybe energy, water, or just product losses. Generally, each facility have at least an idea where where those losses are at. But I would want to give the, you know, I would call it a warning, but a heads up. It's like, don't assume that you know, because I've been involved in a couple of scenarios where there was a perceived idea that they were losing water in a certain area, but after a deeper dive into it, it turned out that that area wasn't actually the problem at all. It was a completely different different location of a plant. Huh. 
where where water was being was being wasted and and was more operator related and and shift related which was was invisible until we actually started measuring it yeah um, so simple simple let's say for water is especially easy uh, generally there are flow meters somewhere in place and if you not don't know then you can put a temporary clamp on meter onto a line and you can get run that for a couple of weeks and see where where things are going so i would i would suggest the best way is to try to get real values wherever possible and the same thing goes for let's say plants today do a lot of changeovers they produce a large number of different type of products mm-hmm. which has resulted in more more changeovers each changeover there is a risk or there's always going to be some some loss of product or loss of water in between the different products so right. to have a good phase separation sensor or a switch in between there can really go a long way to to reduce losses oh that makes a lot of sense so you're not spending as much time purging just in case you actually know when things have been cleared out of the pipes yeah correct yeah gotcha. um another issue that i've been hearing about is food and beverage companies aiming to reduce costs through through more standardization. How does this trend really affect end users' investments in instrumentation control technologies from your perspective? Yeah, I think the largest impla- impact is on uh, operational efficiencies. Okay. Uh, li- like we talked about earlier here, finding skilled workers can have an effect as well. But by standardizing, then you can potentially reduce the, the amount of spare parts and mm-hmm. uh, so you can you can then maybe not have a policy of running to failure, but if you do, you you'll have a spare parts on hand because you can't you can't rely on getting spare parts in from somewhere in an environment where, where you know ten minutes downtime is too long. Yeah. How do you justify waiting two days for a spare part to come in? So by standardizing, you can you can really tighten up the uh, the spare part inventory and therefore also get back up to operational uh, efficiency as quickly as possible. And and to some extent, the first point we talked about, the training needs and familiarity, then also help reduce downtime if and when something goes wrong. The last thing you want to have is somebody standing trying to read a manual and figuring out how to, uh, how to set something up or, or even wire it up if it's the first time they see it. So having a standardization, you're, right. you're speeding things up as well there. Yeah. Um, and and some of the tools. Let's say if you have the the right tools to configure, or maybe you had a you're standardized, so all your instruments and devices you have already downloaded, and you have electronically on file all the configuration. So now when you do install a new brand new device, instead of reading from a notepad written five years ago. <laughs> you have a digital file with all the programming information in it, and you do a download that maybe take you know ten seconds to to download the actual settings into into this new new unit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that all goes towards that that standardization that have the familiarity, have the the uh, the, the data files in place to be able to quickly uh, replace in, instruments when they fail. And and an, an interesting point here for I don't know well over 10 years now we have uh, assisted plants by what we call a providing an installed base assessment mm-hmm. and you'll be amazed how often the IO count 
is underestimated by large factors. I mean, easily 10, 20%, where people say, yeah, we have 300 instruments in our plant, and we go in and do an uh, uh, install-based assessment, and we found out, well, you actually have 400 or 450 <laughs> instruments in here. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, oh, yeah, we had no idea. I and mean, it was like, yeah, you know, we, we did that expansion five years ago, that stuff 10 years ago, and yeah. and somewhere along the lines, that documentation was in track. Or instruments got moved from one location to another one. Nobody knows where they're at. Yeah, It has maybe it has a, has a tag number to it, so that there's something there, but what the actual device is, yeah. nobody really knows. And, and then you run into scenarios where things might have been phased out years ago, and you cannot get a replacement or at least not a direct replacement for it so now you are kind of scrambling to uh, find the part or something similar and, and in order to get back on track again there so uh, all that kind of drives towards the the, uh, the, the like I say the importance of standardization so that you have as few parts as possible you have a clear migration path and your people know how to install them and program to uh, to get get up and running again. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's even more critical today with some of the supply chain issues that the, that industrial companies are having uh, along along many fronts. Yeah. Downtime when you don't know what you need to replace could really really climb quickly. I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. And then even if you do know what to replace, unfortunately, the supply chain <laughs> have. That too have strange, uh, strange connections. <laughs> if yes. you start digging into it, like why is this a shortage? Well, it turns out some not even connected thing is short somewhere else. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully the days of dealing with that are are coming to an end. That some days very soon. Uh, let's hope that we get our supply chain issues worked out and and don't have to at least deal with that, that additional complicating factor. So hopefully. Yeah. Um, I somehow suspect we might we might be out another six eight months before things yeah. really start settling yeah. down on that. But yeah, we well, we certainly are doing our best to keep our supply chain uh, as as yeah, uninterrupted as possible. Well, great. Well, good luck with continued success on that front. Thanks again so much, Olaf, for sharing your insights with us today. We're we're kind of coming up to the, the end of our allotted time. Thanks also to Endress and Hauser USA for sponsoring this episode. My name is Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. My guest today has been Ola Westrom, Food and Beverage Industry Marketing Manager for Anderson Hauser USA. Thanks so much, Ola. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And finally, thanks to you, our listeners, for joining. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes Store or at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off. Until next time.